So let's get into this. We're in a series called uh, Warning Signs. And how many of y'all have, have ignored a warning sign recently that's willing to admit, yeah, I ran a stoplight or I ran the warning line or whatever it is. We, we have warning signs that show up. The problem with warning signs in traffic is the longer they're there, the more we ignore them. It's like we just don't see them anymore. And so I thought it was fun to do a series on that. We've had some great messages on this. And this one is titled Detour Ahead. So if you're a note taker, which I encourage you to, uh, one of the things that I will do is, is if I, I hear somebody say something, oh, that's really good. If I don't write it down or, or say it in notes in my iPhone, yeah, um, I, I kind of forget. I'll be like, somebody said something really good today, but I can't remember what it was. Anybody ever done that to you? It's like when you hit 50, it's like that happens like every day. It's like I can't even remember what happened. Uh, and so detour ahead that life, it has, it's full of detours, right? So here's where we left off, just to bring you up to speed. The detour is not the destination. That was last week's message. We get in detours in life. And the detour uh, is, and Scott, you were out of town doing a funeral last week. The wise philosopher, Scott Hendricks, um, he said, at least you still have a, des- uh, you can still get to your destination through the detour. And so I, I stole your, your line. Uh, I did give you credit. And I added the great philosopher, Scott Hendricks. All right. Uh, and, and I love that when he said that, as that's true, a detour doesn't mean your destination's gone. You still can get there. It's just going to take you longer. And the route isn't always as fun. And so our problem is that it often feels like the destination. Like when we get into a detour in life and we have things happen in life, it feels like this is where I'm stuck. This is is where I'm going to be. Um, And when you're stuck in a storm, the storm is all you see. And so I want to talk to that today. And I want to hope, give you some hope that what you're going through right now is going to pass. It, It is going to pass. It's going to, you're going to get through it. It's going to be fine. Last Sunday after church, we went home and um, I think I was reading on the couch and Travis was like, man, look outside. And so I looked outside and there was just, this storm happened. I was like, whoa. So just, you know what it's like. Um, it's the curse of Pastor Stevie praying for snow and rain and ice. And we're trying to break that in the name of Jesus and get some, we'll probably go from, you know, 40 to 80 in a, in a week. Um, knowing Idaho, but, but I saw the storm just battering everything and then, and it blew through and then it was sunny. And it was beautiful. It was like you could see the snow, the fresh snow, and the sun. And I, I was also, but I looked toward Boise, and Boise was getting the same storm. They were getting pounded. And I had this thought is, if you only knew what I know, like the sun is going to shine again. Like you are in a storm. It's battery. It's blowing trees. It's doing all this crazy stuff. But Boise's sun's coming. Sun's coming. Sun's coming. And I'm here to tell you that today, that when you're stuck in the storm, the storm is all you see, but the sun is coming. All right, so we're in the book of Acts chapter 27. Um, I'll bring you up to speed. We are talking about the Apostle Paul, and, and he was a young man named Saul. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader, uh, very, very legalistic, like letter of the law. Uh, when Jesus was, was crucified, came back to life, Christianity started, and Saul decided that Christians are bad. And so he started killing Christians, persecuting Christians, chasing after Christians. And, and on his way to Damascus, when he was going to go persecute some Christians, Jesus met him, like on the road, knocked him down. Uh, he was blind for several days, and, and he just had his God moment. And Jesus said, stop persecuting me, start preaching me. And, and so Saul becomes Paul, got a name change. He's been preaching Jesus now. The very one he was fighting against, now he's preaching and, and years and years and years go by, Paul gets arrested, and it wasn't the first time for preaching the gospel. And so he's under trial, and, and they're trying to figure out, is he guilty of death? Is he guilty of, of anything? Because the Romans are going, it doesn't look like he's really done anything, but the Jewish people hated him. And so he, he's under trial, and, he, and he's gone before a guy named Festus and um, Agrippa, and, and they're listening to his case, and they're like, 
man, he didn't do anything wrong. Like he doesn't deserve what they're trying to do to him. And the problem happened when Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. It was like appealing to the Supreme Court of the day. And, and they were like, man, if you wouldn't have done that, you could go free. But he was supposed to go to, to the Supreme Court of the day, which was Nero, which was in Rome. And so because he appealed to Caesar, they stick him on his ship. And, and they start sailing and they get to this port and, and Paul's got this, he's like, Some, this isn't good. We, we, we shouldn't keep sailing. It was like into September, uh, storms were coming and Paul sensed that something bad was gonna happen. And he tried to talk the guys, the ship owner and the, the, the sailors out of going and they overrode him. And so now he's on this ship and it's not his choice. There's nothing he can do about it. He's in chains and he's bound and, and he gets put in the brig of the ship and they're going whether he thinks they should or not. And then they get into this gigantic storm and we ended last week where they're, they're all sick, they're seasick. It's been about two weeks and, and he's like, I told you so. You ever had those moments? Does it feel good? Yeah. Like even if it's just a look of I told you so? So that's, that's where we are. So we're going to cover a little bit of scripture that we covered last week um, just to bring us up to speed. And so Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he's writing this. He's with Paul. He's journaling everything down. And he says this. He says, we finally, the storm was so bad. He said, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Like even Luke, even the, the God-fearing Dr. Luke is like, we thought we were going to die. Even the apostle Paul, I think he thought he was going to die. And so we gave up all hope. So after, this, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. So he gets that off his chest. I told you so. Okay, I told you so, because it feels good to say that. He goes, but now I urge you. So he gives us a little rebuke and now he's gonna say, okay, here's what we need to do. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God, I, of God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. He had this angel that came in his little, little room, wherever he was at, and talked to him. And this is what the angel said. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. So keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So you have this angel visitation, and I love it because it encourages Paul. There's the moment before is we gave up all hope of being saved, and God sees that. God sends this angel, and the angel's like, Paul, you will stand trial before Caesar. You will. I mean, that's going to happen. God, God says it. It's going to happen this way. And the angel knows the future. And here's what I believe about angels. I think, again, because all through the Bible, angels are mentioned. Some are visible, some are not. But I believe they're still doing their job. I believe that they're guiding. I believe that they're helping humans, delivering messages, protecting, etc. And Paul's angel, again, knows the future. What's he say? You must stand trial before Caesar. What does that mean? It's going to happen. Yeah. And what he's really saying is you will not die in this storm. You will not die in this storm. And I'm here to tell you that today, that if you're facing a storm, you will not die in this storm. You will not. You will not. You will make it through. You will. You just have to have the tenacity and the and determination to say, I'm going to make it through the storm. And if you're a Christian, you're going to make it anyway. All right? Heaven looks real good some days, doesn't it? Amen. You're like, heaven, yeah, well, yeah, well, I got a good response there, all right? It really does. There's some days like heaven looks great. But I'm here to tell you, and some of you need to hear this, that you will not die in the storm you're facing right now. You won't. God's got this. Yeah. 
God's got this. God is not just up there going, well, what's going to happen? Others' lives will be saved because of you, Paul, because of your stand, because of how you have lived. Others' lives are going to be saved. And there was a, this was a verbal promise. And you may not get an angelic visit. You might get an angel, angel comes into your room. Matter of fact, it probably freak you out. But we do have this promise in writing that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. That's the word of God. That is a written promise. You, you ever, is anybody married? Okay. You ever had a verbal, like a verbal agreement or a verbal, you said, I do. you said we were going to dinner tonight. Yes. When did I say that? No, no, I said yesterday it would, might be nice to go to dinner sometime. Yes. You ever mentioned that you ever have those moments? You're like, well, no, but you said like just the thought is a promise. And if you're like me, sometimes you don't even think things out loud because it's taken as like, we are doing this. You ever, you ever have that? You're like, I, that's not, I, I was just talking out loud. I was just making conversation. It's really hard to backpedal when you mention that. And, and so in this scripture, God's promises, again, are spoken to Paul through an angel. You will stand trial. You will. So you're going to get through this storm. We have it in writing. And I love this part of the story because angels, I think, are super important. God knows what's next. I will tell you this. A movie director is never surprised by the next scene. Why is that? Because he knows the whole story. A movie director knows the whole story. He knows how to begin. He knows the end. He knows the scenes that need to happen in between to get to the end. So there's never a movie set where, you know, a, a scene is shot and the director's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> didn't know that was happening. No, he knows the whole story. Why? Because he's directing the whole story. Who's our director in heaven? God is directing this whole thing, you know? And so I have this little word picture with the Bible. What is it? It's scripture, right? It's scripture. What is the Bible? It's scripture. It's script. Sure, you can be sure of the script. That when, when God promises you something, guys, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. You can rest your, your, your hope on the word of God. When you can't hear his voice, you can trust his word. You can do that, right? God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So again, the Bible is a script and God is the director of this whole thing. The Bible is going to play out. God is not up there wondering, how does this all play out? No, that's why you need to read ahead, read Revelation. You see that in the end, we win. We win. Christians go to heaven and non-Christians that reject Jesus go to hell. That's how it ends, all right? We don't want it to end with the hell thing. We try to get so many people saved so that they don't, but that's how it ends. But your life isn't up there, God wondering, oh man, I wonder what's going to happen now. No, there's a script. Now there's things that happen in between the script, right? We have choices within the story. So the, uh, the major thing's going to happen, but let's look at movies, Indiana Jones, all right? The first, first Indiana Jones, you know the scene where there's this guy he wants to fight and, and Indiana just pulls the gun out and shoots the guy? Yeah. <laughs> He's like driving Eagle Road. <laughs> He's like, no, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> just tired of you, right? That wasn't scriptural advice, just so you know. It was just, this is what you feel like. Don't act on your emotions. But in that scene, the guy's doing all this stuff, and he just pulls his gun out and shoots him. The backstory to that scene was he was actually supposed to fight the guy. And they had had a long day shooting the film. Harrison Ford was tired, and he just ad-libbed this, boom, I'm done with you. And the director was like, that was fascinating. Like, that, we're keeping that scene. So that was an ad-lib. Like the whole story was written, but there's ad-libs in between. And I think our life is like that. God knows beginning to end. He knows how things are going to, but we still have choice in between to ad-lib some things in life. 
And we still have to suffer the choices or get blessed by the choices. But in the end, God's plan is going to happen. And so as a Christian, we don't have to live in fear because we know this is, God knows how this thing works out. I'm just a, a puzzle piece and here's a big puzzle and I'm gonna do the best that I possibly can. And so choice within the story. Uh, I have two titles today and you get to pick your title. The number one is discouraged by the detour. All right, we can be discouraged. God doesn't want you to stay discouraged or you can be delivered in the detour. So I wanted to give you a choice tonight. Yeah, you get a choice. You get to pick which one that you want to live. Okay, okay what, what does this sermon mean to me? Now, if you have a defeatist mentality, you're going to be discouraged by every detour. You're going to be the Eeyore of Christianity. I knew this was going to happen. Like, I knew. All right, I knew this. Just my luck. You know, you ever people say, well, just my luck? Does that mean you're unlucky all the time? It's just my luck. Well, look at how much stuff actually goes right, right? And so I made this a choice because although discouragement is a real emotion, it's not a place that God wants us to stay. We will all get discouraged. It doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. I'm so discouraged. Oh, you're, you're going to go to hell now because uh, obviously you don't have any faith in God. No, discouragement is what? It's an emotion. Okay, Jesus went through discouragement. He did. Like you got guys abandoning you that promised to be there and, and it discouraged him. It's like, you guys think you're going to leave me? Now Peter's going, I don't even know the guy. I was a little discouraged, right? But what did he do? He restored him. Okay, honesty with feelings is hard for some of us. But honesty with where you're at is the beginning of change. Discouragement is only a detour. It's not a destination. It's also a perspective. You think about the Christians in Syria. Like, think about, your, you know, what you're facing right now. And you look at the Christians in Syria that they were having their daughters and wives raped in front of them and then beheaded and abused. Like, we could look at, well, my car broke down, you know, and, and, and what would you rather have? I'd rather have my car broke down than my wife or kids raped and my, my head cut off, right? There, there's, so there's this thing. It doesn't mean you're going through anything less real. Like it's still real to you, but perspective is a huge thing. And so in addition to my, my typed out notes, I had a thought that I wanted to share with you uh, that came to me as I was just studying this, is, is that you either okay, assign a title to your life story or you design a title to your life story. I'm either going to assign my life story, well, I'm just, it's always going to be losing for me. It's always going to be depression. It's always, 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 it's, all, it's always going to be the Eeyore. I mean, even Eeyores will get to heaven. <laughs> we'll walk in and go, it's not what I expected. <laughs> and then St. Peter's going to have the lever that just, you know, <laughs> how's that? I don't know if that works or not. But I, I don't want to have that kind of life. Right, so that we either assign a title to our life story or we design a title. Yeah. There, there's a difference. Assigning is like, this is what it is, but designing is building it. Yeah. It's okay, I went through this. It's hard, but, but I'm going to make it. Okay, it's just having that determination to do that. Uh, we can accept the fact that, yeah, there's, there's a storms, there is, and I can also acknowledge it and overcome it. See, I can accept what life throws at me or I can acknowledge, say, yeah, this happened, this stunk. I didn't like this part of my life. It happened but what am I going to do with it? Like I am here now, what am I going to do with it? And that's what I call designing your life as you get to, to, to design it. So on with this story. <laughs> if you're brand new, that was just the introduction. Um, all right, Paul's en route to Rome, but again, he, he's not on a course of his choosing. And that may relate to where you're at in life right now. You're going through some things that are not your fault. You didn't, you didn't cause it, but you have to deal with it. And that's a tough place to be. That's where Paul's at. He didn't cause this, he gets chained up and he's in a ship. All he was doing was preaching Jesus. 
and he is in prison for that, right? He didn't cause it, but he has to deal with it. He's in a ship that's in a storm when he said, don't go, like this is gonna be bad. And they're like, yeah, who are you? You're just a preacher. Like we're experienced sailors. I own the ship, we're gonna go. And they went against him. And now all of a sudden he has an audience because what he said was gonna happen is happening. It's amazing how God will give you a voice when there is turmoil all around us. And man, you might be somebody who's not seen, but man, as soon as something happens and you have an answer, people will begin to listen to you. And so, this is not his final destination, okay? The, the ship is not, shipwreck is not his final destination, and it's not your final destination. So the world today freaks out because of the unknown. You ever watched a movie with somebody that, who's never seen it and it's kind of a, a there's scary parts? You ever, you ever done that? Yeah. Like you're sitting there and you know what's coming and they're watching and, and you're like, oh, it's going to get him, it's going to get him. And then I get it and all they're like, ah, they jump. Sometimes, like, I don't know if I told you this story or not. My wife, when we were flying back from Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, she was sitting by me and she was, had her ear pods in watching a show and something jumped in the, in the show and she jumped in her chair. I was like, don't do that. You'll get us arrested by the marshal. Like, like, you know, um, and I just looked at her and grinned, but it, it, it surprised her. For me, I have this terrible thing of looking at the movie and going, okay, they, that's not possible. Yeah. Like you can't get 15 shots out of a six shot revolver. Yeah. You, you just can't. It just, it just doesn't work. No, no cop or military person cocks the, you know, their gun when they go to, to, to the, they, they keep a bullet in the chamber. They don't, you know, it's, it's, it's dumb. And you hear the clicking sound and they don't do nothing. It's like, Ch -ch -ch. you actually have to rack the slide. You can't. Uh, there's, so I, I pick these movies apart. My wife absolutely loves it. Um, watching a movie with me, especially Hallmark. Like, like, because it's always the guy you bump his coffee. That's always the one that it ends up with, right? It's, and the coffee cups are empty because you can't grab a whole stinking thing of coffee and go, here, everybody have some coffee. It doesn't work that way. Parker, does that bug you too as a detail guy? It bugs you, right? You're like, there's nothing in there. Here, and they're faking. I'm like, just put some real something in there. And I, I ruin movies, I do, because I just pick, I, 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 I see what they missed. But as a human, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to look at people's lives and see what's wrong. I want to see what's right. I want to see what is good. I want to be able to enjoy the script without picking everything apart. And that's something, again, that I'm working on. But watching a movie like that, it's like they've never seen it. But in the Bible, God never jumps. God never sees a story and goes, didn't see that happening. Jesus was like, I didn't see that coming either. That, that never happens in heaven. God is never shocked at what takes place in our lives. Again, the world freaks out, but we don't have to. So in this scene, they're in a dark ship. It's night, still dark. Candles and oil lamps, maybe. I mean, it's rocking and rolling. So they, they have a little bit of light. So that's the scene here. Let's start this, all right? On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Again, this is Dr. Luke penning the story. We were about, about midnight. The sailors sensed that they were approaching land. And how would they approach that? How would they know they were sailors? They couldn't see, but they've been on the ocean long enough to, to smell things, to hear. To, there was something that they, they just had this sense, like we're getting close to land. So they took soundings. They have a, a rope with markings on it, and they lowered it over. And they found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight. You ever done that? You just pray for daylight? Like you're in a storm emotionally or in a, I mean, you're just like, Lord, I just need light. It's so dark. 
I just, I just need some light. And I, I have that highlighted pretty good in my Bible. They prayed for daylight. We have those kinds of days. They skilled, they, they, again, they sense something different. Mechanics, you, you know when something's wrong with the vehicle. Like you've driven it, you like, okay, I hear something's not right. Those of you with different areas of expertise, you know something's just not right. If you're law enforcement, you know like, there's just something not right. So there's just something a little bit different that, that your average person that's not called to do what you did or what you do, they just sense things. And so they, they sense this. And then they want to drop the anchor, okay? They want to drop the anchor. They're fearing the rocks. They let the anchors to slow the ship down, which I say is a wise decision. And we could tie this into a relational advice if you're married and you're in a storm and you're going toward the rocks. You better drop some anchor or you're going to get dashed against the rocks. The problem is most of us don't sense that we're approaching the rocks and we don't drop the anchor and we keep talking. <laughs> right? So ladies, when your husband is coming toward the rocks, you just look at him and say, you better drop some anchor, boy. Like, Pray for daylight and drop some anchor, right? You're, you're getting close. And sometimes we're just oblivious to the man. We're just like, full sail, you know? And, and I love this. Drop some anchor, right? Drop the anchor would at least slow you down so that you didn't get dashed against the rock. So I love that part. In verse 30 through 32, the sailors do something. Uh, they're kind of looking out for themselves. And it says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors uh, let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. But Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. In other words, your life depends on what they are doing. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. This is kind of a crazy part. Like they're, they're, the sailor's like, yeah, we're going to go um, let some anchors off the back of the boat because this four aren't quite holding. And, and, and Paul sees this look in their eye. And he's like, I know what you're doing. It's like a little kid, right? When they go to do something, you know what they're up to. They're pretending like they're not. And, and Paul says, unless, unless they stay here, we're all going to die. You're going to die. And so what do the centurions do? The soldiers, they believe Paul now. He now has this voice and they begin to chop the ropes away and they let go of the, the, the boat. And that makes no sense. Because what they are doing is they are cutting away the only logical way of escape. That's the only thing, that they're like, cut the life, you would cut the lifeboat away? The very thing that we can escape in, you're gonna cut it away? And that's what Paul did. And there are times in lives that God asks you to do something that makes no sense to somebody else. He asks you to cut something away that people are going, why would that be a problem? Like maybe it's a certain thing in your life that you do or you would, and God's like, this is not good for you. Other people can, but you can't. This is not taking you in the right direction. It's not necessarily a sin. It's not necessarily even bad, but God says for you, no. And that's a hard thing to do because everybody else is going, why, what's the problem? Like I, I had a relative who he got into hunting. He got saved and he got into hunting like big time. And God said, you need to stop. It's becoming a God. And he was like, what? And, 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 so he, he stopped hunting for like two years. Two years. <laughs> that's punishment. That's like Hades if you're a hunter. Um, that's bad. And, and he said, finally, God said, okay, it's not a God anymore. You can hunt again. And he shared the story with me as a Sunday school. He was my Sunday school teacher. And, um, and I thought, man, that's so good because he had to cut that away. Well, it wasn't that, he didn't come into Sunday school, okay, kids, you can't hunt anymore. God told me I can't, so you can't either. No, this was just something that was him personally. Like, it was this, this thing. And so cutting away a lifeboat makes no sense. 
To me, life, this lifeboat, uh, just again, your lifeboat represents whatever you want it to, but for me, it, it represents religion. It, it's man's way to save himself. Because God said, everybody's going to be fine, but they started deviating from the script. We're going to try to save ourselves. And Paul's like, no, that's not part of the deal. Now, let me ask you this. I asked the question, why? I was praying, like, Lord, why, why is this a big deal? The angel said, Paul, you're going to preach, or you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna meet before Caesar, and he ends up preaching. You're going to be before Caesar. So couldn't have Paul said, you know, if you want to take the lifeboat, take the lifeboat, I'm, I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to get to Rome. You guys will probably die in the lifeboat. And, and as I was praying, like, Lord, why, why is this? And this is what I heard. The ship still needed someone to sail it. It's practical, right? It's not over spiritual. It was like, no, the, the sailors need to be on the ship to sail the ship to the island that they're going to end up on. The ship needed someone to sail it. For me, it would be like, well, if you guys want to go, go. I'm, I'm going to Rome. You guys can go in the, in the boat if you want, but you'll probably die and you will die. And so here's what the centurion did. They're like, cut the ship and they, they cut it off. What do you need to cut out in your life? So there's a spiritual and a practical thing at the same time in your life. Because again, here's a question. Could the angels have steered that ship? Absolutely. Right? God could have had angels. Okay, just guide the ship. Off, you know, they're going to end up in this island called Malta. Um, this tells me that God uses people and angels to bring about his plan. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this to know that you have more than just yourself in this battle. You have more than just you. You have more than just your faith. I really believe that there's angels that are assigned to us. I joke that because of my height that my angel's like seven foot ten. <laughs> Big and just huge. And if you're like six foot and over here, your angel's like, like this. Because <laughs> you don't need a big angel, right? But I think my angel's pretty big. I've never seen an angel like personally. Some of you might have had angelic visitations. The Bible actually says, be careful to, to not, or to entertain strangers because you might have an angel come. So you may have ran into an angel and you didn't know it. Like it's been like 32 years since my wife met me. I'm still trying to get her to figure out. <laughs> I'm an angel. <laughs> now there's a lot of angels I got cast out of heaven, uh, but we won't go there, right? I mean, my name is 1A away from Satan. So I think about that. It's also one day away from Santa. So however you guys want to <laughs> pick your own pastor. That's how it is. Satan or Santa. I have actually literally written my name down before S-A-T-A-N. I'm like, wait, that is, that's not right. Um, no, I really, really have. Um, that's why I write in pencil. And, uh, anyhow, there, there's angels. And, and I did see an event where an angel did stop something. And I'll share this story with you. I don't know that I've ever shared it in church. I shared it for service. Um, when I was in high school uh, in, in Southern Oregon, um, I had a Jeep. I had a 78 CJ5. I've showed you the picture of it. And my buddy also had a Jeep. And so one Saturday we went Jeeping. We just went four-wheeling. And my, my, my friend Eric had a Jeep. And there was some people with him. He had one of our teachers in the passenger seat. And our, our Jeep was full. I had the tops off. Nice, nice day. And so we were going up this hill. And it's a pretty steep hill, and all of a sudden, Eric, he starts spinning out, and, um, and we were behind him, and we were like, oh, that's bad, because it's a Jeep, and they flip really easy. And so he started sliding backwards, and then it went sideways, and his Jeep in front of us, and we were full of kids, we were just watching it happen, and it tipped up, and then it stopped and went back down. And there was absolutely no way that could have happened, like... There's no way. It, it was, that Jeep should have actually rolled and it would probably, I mean, killed several of us um, because of where we were at and the steepness of it. And our teacher, who was, he was probably 300 pounds. He was a big guy. He was in the passenger seat. 
And, and yeah, and we were like, Mr. Vinegar, get out, get out, get out. You know, because his angel, he was like six foot. So his angel was probably like, come on, get out, get out, holding it. But I'm just guessing here, I'm, I'm throwing, I think that's probably what happened. But there was no question in my mind that an angel stopped it from flipping over because it would have rolled with them in it. It would have hit us and we would have rolled. It was, like I said, it was a pretty long, steep hill. Um, he forgot to put it in four wheel drive is what happened. Um, scared the daylights out of us. But I look back and I was like, there's no way that thing shouldn't have flipped. If I flipped a Jeep over on a little tiny thing, it's not even like this. Some of you know my embarrassing story. Okay, that absolutely should have, it should have rolled and killed, probably kills or maimed a lot of us. There's no question an angel stopped it. Because I said, it came up on two wheels, started to come over and then went back. So angels are in our lives. Okay, that should give us comfort. Okay, that God's got this. That God, God's got this. He's got what you're facing. He's got the storm. So in times of uncertainty and storms, here's the balance that we struggle with. What's my part? What's God's part? Like, how much should I pursue? How much do I let God? Because we can hurry God. And we talked about procrastination and, um, and also impatience. Both are bad. Like, impatience is bad because we, we get stuff done before it's supposed to get done. And God's like, I wasn't, we were, I wasn't ready for that yet. We try to be God's little helpers. And then we also can procrastinate and wait too long to say, well, if God wants me to have a job, then, you know, they'll come knocking on my door. I'll get a text message, right? No, you, what should you do? You should put out resumes, right? So how much is God, how much is us? Um, impatience and procrastination are both bad. So my encouragement there is to stay in prayer. Stay in prayer, not just what I prayed last week. Staying in prayer is a running dialogue with God all day long. Like, that's my practice. I just talk to Jesus all day long about all kinds of different things, and I just keep the line open, right? And I think God wants a relationship like that, that you're just constantly talking to him. Say, Lord, please speak to me. Let me know. And then Paul, okay, it changes a little bit, all right? They let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense, and you have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. So I urge you, take some food. Right? You need it to survive. And the church said, amen. I mean, he's telling you to eat. Isn't that good? Yes. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. No, I'm not sure. Well, I'll share. Kristen, you can open it and take the ones I don't like. She needs her energy. She gets her way earlier than most of us. <laughs> All right. And, uh, that's holy, just so you know. That's 10%. Can you tell me I can't open it? Open that. Open it up and eat some. Don't listen to your husband. Yes, I have a knife. <laughs> Bro, if you let her eat chocolate, it'll go well for you after church. Just listen to me. Trust me, all right? It'll go well for you. <laughs> Paul gets practical here. I just did what the Bible says. He gave them food and they ate. Give them the food they and, and isn't it practical that your body needs food? They've gone 14 days. That's a long time to go without food, especially with the turmoil and everything that's going on. But there are times, guys, that you need to just eat something. Anybody get hangry? I don't get hangry. Anybody get hangry? Oh, a church full of hangry. Church of the hangry. We're going to start a new campus. Uh, all right. So you all, you all love communion, right? Uh, that's it. Just eating a couple. That's why you took two or three. I just thought because you sinned bad, you took two or three. It's just that you're hungry. Uh, back in the pre-COVID days, we used to just do bread. Like people just pick bread out. But 
school. Yeah. And so he gives them food. There's times in life when you just need to eat something. Like, not stress eating. I'm not talking about overeating or doing bad. I mean, like, sometimes we get, food is necessary. And Jesus, oftentimes, like he'd heal somebody. He said, give her something to eat. There's something with food. That, that God made, and he made it to be good, that we need. And so Paul does this. He's like, you need to eat something. He didn't say, you need to pray more. He didn't say, you need to have more faith. You need to believe in the God. That I... He's like, y'all hungry. You need to get something to eat. And so I need to shut up and preach shorter, right? Because some of you are getting hungry. You needed to survive. That's what he said. <laughs> Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God. So he's like, Jesus, thank you so much for this food. And they're all watching him. Okay, he's again representing the God he serves. Uh, did it in front of them all. And then he broke it and he began to eat. He's like, I don't know about you, but I'm eating some food. Amen. I'm eating some food. And they're all, yeah, we're kind of hungry now. And, and so he, he passes it out and they all begin to eat. He says they were all encouraged. They were all encouraged. Even the ones that tried to ditch you, even the ones that tried to take the lifeboat and pretend that they were helping when they were actually ditching you, you, Paul, you're actually encouraging them? And the answer is yes. There are times in your life when those who have tried to abandon you, and some of you have gone through this, some of you feel the scars still of abandonment, that we can still be a blessing. And that's what Paul's doing. He's like, I'm still going to feed you. He's like, I'm still going to feed you. So they were all encouraged. It's amazing what he did here. Because if I was Paul, I'd have been like, <laughs> I'm having my bread. But you guys that are trying to get in that boat there, no, not getting none. No Taco Bell for you. Like, I'm not, no. Not going to do it. Don't we, aren't we like that sometimes? Like we, we, we try to withhold. All right. And it says all together, there were 276 of us on board. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. I love it. He just gets super practical. Okay? They were trying to abandon ship. He's like, here, have some food. Verse 39, not only that, when people are hungry, they make some crazy decisions. Right? They really can do that. So he gives them food. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors... Okay, they had four anchors at least, and they left them in the sea, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. And when they hoisted the foresail to the wind, or then they hoisted the foresail to the wind, and they made for the beach, they're like, make a run for it, like full throttle with the sails that are trying to get to the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. I want to know what that moment was like. <laughs> like, they're like, you ever hit something? You ever hit something? Yeah. I was, I was, I was, I was trash talking my older brother when I worked in the woods and he ran into something with a truck and I was, I was bad mouthing him. Me and my buddy were driving and, and I was bad mouthing my brother about my brother's so dumb. He hit this thing and I was backing up the work truck went to turn around and, and no joke, a tree was behind me and it got planted there instantly. And I hit a tree. Like I'm trashing my brother about his driving abilities and I back into a tree. I swear, when I get to heaven, an angel will be like, yeah, I just made that grove just right when you were backing up. Just shut you up, right? It's amazing. It, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. So they made, for the, made for, the, for the island. They hit the sandbar. And it says, the bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Constant pounding. And again, some of you may feel like that. 
like you have tried your best to get to the island, to get to that place, but you hit a sandbar, you hit something in life, you hit a detour, you, you had something happen that you weren't expecting or maybe something you didn't even cause. And now you're stuck and, and you, you're trying to do what's right, but it's, you're getting pounded and pounded and pounded and pounded and, and you're just praying for daylight. You're like, I, I just need some daylight. I need God to do something in my life. You see, when daylight came, it says, the point, they didn't recognize where they were. I thought that was interesting. Dr. Luke's writing this. We didn't recognize it. And the simple answer, I said, well, why? Why didn't they recognize it? The answer is easy because they had never seen it before. They'd never been there. None of the sailors, and some of you are navigating waters that you've never seen before. And that's a scary thing sometimes, to be in a place that you're unsure of, a place that you're like, this is not familiar, this is not comfortable, I don't like this. They didn't know where the sandbar was. Why? Because they had never been there before. A person who knew the area probably knew there's a sandbar there, you got to sail around it. But they didn't, and some of you feel like that. You see, regardless that they had never seen land, and that land had never looked so good to these guys. 14 days, and they're like, there's an island, let's go. And I love the picture that we get from this scene, because it says, cut loose the anchors, leave them in the sea. Things in life that you have to cut away and leave behind in order to go forward, what are they? Like right now, what are some things that you just need to cut? It may be an argument you had with your spouse before church or things with kids. There's things that go on in life that we just have to learn to cut away in order to go forward. So that's the question. What do you need to cut away and leave behind in order to get to your destination or at least make progress toward it? This covers many things. Some of the things I wrote down was hurt. Can you let hurt behind? Uh, Sins. Again, we need to give our sins to Jesus. We need to repent of them. Being offended. That never happens. Desire for control. No one in our church. Insecurity. Nobody who's seated within the sound of my voice. Past success. Past success could be just as deadly as a past failure. Because you rest, like my future, well, this is what I did. This is who I was. This would see my trophies. Nobody cares about your trophies. Nobody cares about your trophies. Like, they, they really don't. They, they, yeah. Yeah, Chris and I, we, we went to a church recently, uh, and they had a trophy case. Trophy case. Like, it dated back, like, to, like, 1692 when they came here. Uh, we were the first to the island. Uh, no, no it, was, it was trophies from years past of softball and basketball leagues and all this stuff. And I thought, that's nice. Nobody cares. Like, there's dust on them. Like, nobody cares. I didn't say that to him. I, maybe I should have. Maybe I shouldn't have. Um, but I was like, nobody really cares about the trophies, right? Now, if you're related to somebody, there'd be the World Series. I mean, that's kind of cool. Now, World Series ring is cool. But nobody really cares about your high school trophies, right? They, they, just, they just don't. And so your past successes, again, can't be based on what your future is. It's like, well, this is what I did. No, God's not done with you. Amen. Not, God's not done with you. I don't want to get into heaven with a participant ribbon. Here, Stan, you participated. You got saved, but you didn't do anything of significance. I, I, don't, I don't want to get there like that, right? I want to get there with God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. I don't want to get into heaven. God went, whoa, didn't see that coming. That was close. Because <laughs> the Bible talks about people getting into heaven with smoke, like smoke on their hind end. I don't want to, just think there's going to be a last guy in heaven. I can't say last woman because I'll get in trouble. There's going to be a last guy who was just stubborn and he's going to be smoking on the backside. I mean, there's gonna, that's, the Bible says that. People as escaping the flames. All right, let's keep going because y'all getting hungry and I need to be a good shepherd and feed y'all. Or at least let you go graze yourself. 
because some of you just heard you're buying lunch. I, I, that's, I heard that. It's not what I said. All right. But we, we, can, we can put a long list there of stuff that we need to cut back. Um, I thought of this this week. Sometimes life is like walking through a field of stickers with wool socks on. You, know, just, you, you, ever, you ever done that? My, my son, he's like, I got to throw these away because he's got billions of stickers. I'm a, I'm a tightwad. I'll spend an hour pulling out stickers of a $3 pair of socks. I'm like, is that what I'm worth? Like three bucks an hour, but it's the principle of the matter. All right. Last verse uh, that, we'll, that we'll talk about today. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners. Okay. Isn't that crazy? The, the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could to swim. Let me start over. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get their own planks or pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land and safety. Now, why in the world would they want to kill the prisoners? Again, in this culture, as, as a, a prison guard, if your detainee escaped, you died. I mean, you, you got, so there was no bribery. There was no, hey, let somebody go pretend like they escaped. No, that, and so like, well, let's just kill everybody. And can you imagine what Paul was like? He's like, after all I've done for you, you want to kill me? You ever felt like this? Like after all I've done, now you want to fire me? You may have felt like this with a job. You helped build the company and now they want to let you go? Like after all I've done? Moms, you're like, after all I've done for you, kid, you reject me now, right? Like, like you, you go through those, but there, there's those times that in order for your kids to grow up, you have to cut some things away. Yep. Ladies, let me just speak to this. There, when your boy especially gets to a certain age, he will most of the time, not always, most of the time he'll distance himself a little bit from you. He's trying to figure out how to be a man. And he doesn't really want you to mommy him anymore. That happens when you get married. So it comes back. Um, <laughs> But, but he wants to distance. He wants to distance yourself because he's trying to figure out who he is. And so if he's 18 going to CUNA High and you're still packing his sack lunch with a smiley face on it, that's probably awkward. Now, if your son loves that, that's great. You've got a different relationship than most. But, but most sons are like, Mom, I can handle it myself. And, and, and it can be hard for a mom to go through those times. But that means you're a good mom. If, if he's trying to distance himself, it means you're a good mom. Because if you... Again, if you're still making his sack lunch and, you know, in 18 and he's going out. Now, he may like that if he's a tight one like my son. Be like, yeah, heck yeah, make my lunch. I don't have to pay for it. But, but if, it's, if it's like an uncomfortable thing. But there's a point where you can be such a good mom that when he's 18 years old, he yells from the bathroom, mom, I'm done. <laughs> you need to cut some ties there, right? You have to let him do his own things for him to become a man. You see what I'm saying? Like, so, so moms, if you feel like that, it doesn't mean you're a bad mom. It just means that he's trying to grow up. Now, for teenage girls, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I raised two of them. You just love them. As a dad, you just love them. They're kind of their own thing. All right? They are. And a teen, every, every woman says... Amen, right? You know what I'm talking about because you can't figure them out. Yep. All you have to do is just tell them they're pretty. You look, you look cute, babe. Now go change your clothes because you cannot wear that to school or church. Okay? So it's, it's okay for as a parent for you to say that, okay? Right? The Bible says leave and cleave, not leave and cleavage. So that was not in my notes, but that was for somebody. <laughs> You're blowing up my sermon. No, it's just, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It came from my heart. It had to. The Bible says it. 
It's the kid's pastor in me, okay? So Paul, he's like, I'm the reason you're alive and you're going to treat me like this. I want to close with a couple of illustrations. Um, the first one is, I asked for a roach clip, and my wife had one. In a, just kidding. <laughs> she probably don't even know what that is. Um, I grew up in Humboldt County, California. Never smoked it. All right. Now I'm going to see if Andrew can behave. Okay. So how much is Andrew worth? Not Andrew Fillion. Yeah, Andrew Jackson worth 20 bucks. How much is this one worth? Now this one's, this one's gone through a little bit, hadn't it? You can tell it's gone through first service. <laughs> okay? Because it looked pretty good through first service. And, and if I take this 20 and I just crunch it up like that, all right, how much is it worth? 20 bucks. All right. If I put it on the ground, step on it, how much is it worth? If I roll it up and snort cocaine out of it, then it's worth like 21 bucks because of the residue that's on there. But <laughs> this is no magic trick either, okay? All right. Uh, if I take it and say my kid runs out of toilet paper and they use it for that and it gets washed off, I know I'm being gross, but it's, I'm, I'm in, how much is it worth? Okay. So I can do all kinds of things with this. I can throw it in the dirt. I can get it gross. I can make it look terrible. And, and how much is it worth compared to the good-looking Andrew? Like we got destroyed Andrew. We got good-looking Andrew. And, and this Andrew here is looking at that Andrew going, man, your life is clean. Like you haven't done a whole lot. You don't have cocaine residue on you. You probably have like anointing oil because you grew up in church. And so, you know, anybody that touches a 20 gets healed. Uh, but you know the Bible, okay. And, and, and this one, he, he, it's not, he's not feeling too good about life because he's done a lot of things. He's, he's gone through a lot of things. He's exchanged a lot of hands. He has seen things and has paid for things like prostitution or illegal things. And, and if he feels really bad about who he is and what he has done. But how much is it worth? Why? You know why it's worth 20 bucks? Because the U.S. government printed that. They set the price. This is the value. The value is based on who made it, not what it feels like. And some of you today, you have made a mess of your life or you have a past that looks a little like this and you're like, man, I wish it looked like this, but it doesn't look like that. And here's what you're doing. You are setting your own value and you have no right to do that. You have no right to set the value on something that the maker of that thing set the value of. And you need to get over that. You need to start saying, listen, in the eyes of God, because of what Jesus did, that's what I look like to him. The devil may point out this. You said, I'm not that old Andrew. I'm new Andrew. And when God looks down at your life, he doesn't see this, guys. He doesn't see this. He sees that. He sees the value. He sees the value. He sets the value. You don't quit setting the value on your life based on what you've done. Amen. You set the value on your life based on what he did. And what he did makes you just like that. That's right. I hope that just sets somebody free. Come on. Okay? I hope that sets you free. Because your value is, isn't based on you. you. You don't get to determine that. Yeah. Don't you love that? Yeah. That God sets the value. I can take these, both of these in the bank and they're like, wow, what happened to that one? Church illustration. Um, in my life. And I can say, can I get two new 20s? And they say, absolutely. And they would give me two new 20s. Why? Because it's still valuable. Don't let your past set the value for you. God already set the value. What did he do? He gave his life to you, didn't he? And I want to close with the, the last 
phrase here. It says, the rest were able to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship, all right? And I want you to think about the plank. What was its history? You see, this plank at one time was a little tree, okay? And, and I want to read you a, I wrote a little story. It was just a rough draft, and I was thinking about where did, the, where did this plank start? And so, again, this is just something I sat down this week and I just wrote. And, uh, again, I'm not a professional writer, so don't judge me like I judge movies. All right? But here's some of my thoughts. I wrote this as like a kid's book, or just like if I was to tell my granddaughter the story. And I, and I, call it, I called it The Little Tree. It started out as a seed, and as it grew, it had hopes and dreams. But it had to go through the growing process, season after season, storm after storm. I want to be part of something bigger than me, he said. I want to see new places, experience new things. I don't think I was meant to stay where I was planted. And one day a timber falder came, and I said, pick me, pick me, and tell the first chop of the axe. And I said, I'm not sure that was a great decision. I'm not sure you should pick me. How could this end well for me, cutting me down? And then it got worse. They drug me out of the woods with a chain behind a, a big horse. Not a pleasant process, getting drugged through the mud and the dust. Getting further away from his family of trees, he was still wondering, how could this end well for me? Brought to a mill and cut up into planks, the shipbuilders came and they picked out the best and the strongest boards to build a great ship, an Alexandrian ship, and the little tree realized that his boards were being picked. They must see some value in me, he thought. As he was loaded onto a large cart and hauled away to a shipyard, he saw a ship under construction and he thought to himself, despite what I've been through, maybe I can be part of something bigger than myself. Once again, skilled craftsmen picked each plank carefully and once again, the little tree was selected. He was carefully placed on the side of the ship and then another thing happened that he didn't see coming. Drills, holes were drilled in, into him in a whack of a large hammer driving wooden pegs through them to fasten him to the ship wasn't the most pleasant of experiences. But days and weeks went by and eventually the ship was ready to sail. And the little tree realized that the dreams he had had as a sapling of seeing the world, being a part of something bigger than himself was coming to pass. And he looked back at the axe and the chain and the dirt and the sawmill and the drill and the pegs and the hammer. They were all part of the process to get him where he was today. The things he despised, he now delighted in. Everything had a purpose. It all made sense now. So he realized that you can't stay in one spot and see the world. For years, the plank traveled the seas, saw many ports and carried more cargo and passengers and weathered more storms than he could ever remember. And then one day it happened. The weather seemed perfect for sailing, and the captain guided his sailboat out of the harbor for yet another voyage. Without much warning, a violent storm battered this beautiful Alexandrian ship for 14 days. Cargo and tackle were uh, thrown overboard and dropped to the side and fell past the little tree with a rush and a violent splash into the sea below. It seemed hope was lost by even the most skilled sailors who crewed this ship, for they attempted to lower a lifeboat and get off the ship. The anchors that had been lowered held the ship back. They were cut. The sails were hoisted. Little tree felt the ship lurch forward, land ahead, an island. And progress felt like it was being made as the ship raced toward this little island. This progress came to a shattering halt as it slammed against an unknown, unseen sandbar. Held fast by the sandbar's grip on the hold, the ship's stern began to take such a violent battering that the little tree lost all hope that he would make it out of this situation in one piece. Hopes were lost, dreams began to fade as he realized that his purpose in life was now ending. 
as the ship continued to break apart, he lay floating up and down in the turbulent waters. It was over, he thought. Men were jumping overboard, many shouting that they couldn't swim. A large splash next to him jolted his thinking, and he felt large weathered hands grab a hold of him and holding him close. The man began kicking and pushed his way toward the shore, and the little plank began to realize that maybe he wasn't done yet. <clears throat> that despite what he thought was his life's purpose as part of a great ship, well, maybe this was the reason he was born for, to help save a life of a man who without him would die alone in a raging sea. The plank had his purpose, and the plank can be you. And this is what you can represent to the world. You can represent hope. You can represent hope. You may be shattered and battered and broken and thinking God has, God cannot use me. But God says, I can use a plank if you're willing. I can use a plank. I can use a plank to bring what? To bring hope. And that's our job as Christians is to bring hope to a world. To bring hope to a world that's lost in a raging storm. My job, and I love my job, is to bring you hope. To say, I know, I know a lot of you personally right now are going through some really hard stuff. And I'm here to say, just be a plank. Be a plank. Say, God, use me in the storm. Use me in the storm. Help me to get somebody else to safety. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Somebody that can't swim. God, give me hope to be hope to my family, to my husband, my wife, my kids, my grandkids. Help me just to be that plank, Lord. And that's all God is looking for. But I want you to understand today, and some of you need to hear this, that your value is not based upon your past or what you've done. Your value is based upon an almighty God who saw value in you, and he set the value for you. Amen? Amen? Amen. So use your story to bring somebody else closer to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me today? I don't know where everybody's at spiritually, but I have to believe that there's somebody here that needs Jesus. Somebody here that you might know Christianity, maybe you grew up in church, or maybe you never did. But guys, there's a heaven and there's a hell. We, we will take our last breath on this earth. I'm gonna tell you, there was a man named Jesus who was also nailed to wood. He was nailed to a cross. That his life had purpose. And yes, he did a lot of good things up to that point, but the biggest reason Jesus came was to die on a cross for us. And three days later, rise from a grave because he died for our sins. He died for us. And no matter what you have done, no matter sins that you've committed and the past that you have, God knows everything. And what he wants is he wants to forgive you of it, but you have to ask him to. And if you're here today and you need to make that choice, you need to give your life to Jesus and get your sins forgiven. I'm gonna ask, this is just how we do it at our church. If you just lift your hand up, nobody's looking around, but if that's you and you wanna pray that prayer, you wanna be set free from your sin, if you just lift it up and say, Stan, that's me today. I need to give my life to Jesus. Anybody at all? Okay, all right. Okay, all right, I didn't see any hands. If you did, I, I didn't see it, all right. Sometimes the lights blind me, but if you're online too, all right, here's how, here's how we do it. It's a simple prayer. It's, dear Jesus, I, I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me my sins. Come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior. It's that simple. It gets that simple. For the rest of us, I want to ask you a question. Here's number two is, is are you going through a raging storm? And did today's message mean something to you? Like, okay, there's some hope, but I need you to pray for me. <laughs> Pastor Stan, I need you to pray for me. If that's you, just lift your hand up. So I just, I'm going through some stuff. Okay, all right, you can put them down. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the hands that are up right now. I feel like sometimes we're just drowning at sea and we're just putting our hands up saying, God, please touch me, please save me. And I pray that you would be with them. 
Lord, as they're going through their storm, that they would see some daylight, that they would see something good happen, that you would use this storm to give them strength, to give them faith, but help them most of all to know, like I said early on, is this storm is not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. You will get through it. I mean, love you and give you thanks and praise for that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.